It's time for the word of the Lord. Uh, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 8, and I'm going to do part two of my message, Think Differently. Think Differently. And so Isaiah chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 11 to 22, all right? But before we do, i got a story, a story to read to you about a parakeet named Chippy. Chippy the parakeet. Are you guys ready for this? It'll set up this message just awesome. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage singing. The next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. His problem began when his owner decided to clean his cage with a vacuum. She stuck the nozzle in to suck up the seeds and feathers at the bottom of the cage. Then the phone rang. Instinctively she turned to pick it up. She barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. The owner gasped, dropped the phone, and snapped off the vacuum. She unzipped the bag, and there was Chippy alive, but stunned, covered with black, heavy dust. She grabbed Chippy, rushed it to the bathtub, turned on the faucet full blast, and held Chippy under a torrent of cold ice water. Then she did what any compassionate pet owner would do. She snatched up the hairdryer and blasted the wet, shivering little bird with hot air. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the incident contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she said, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. The moral of the story is life will test you. But don't let the struggle steal the song of your life. Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. She just sits and stares. Well, it feels like sometimes we've been sucked up, blown over, washed up with all the struggles and trials that we are facing. But we don't want to lose out our song of rejoicing in the Lord, do we? We don't want to just sit and stare like that poor parakeet Chippy. All right, let's read Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 to 22. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, in the New Living Translation, it says, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. Think differently, all right? So that's what this is all about. Think differently. So God is speaking to Isaiah, and in verse 12, this is the voice of the Lord to Isaiah. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy. Remember last week, we talked about how they thought that Isaiah, the prophet that would give the word of the Lord, secretly was aligned with the surrounding enemy nations and parroting their voice. It's a conspiracy, right? Nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. In verse 13, the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. So God is basically telling Isaiah, Isaiah, fear me. He will be as a sanctuary or a hiding place for you. But to everyone that rejects it, the Lord will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the house of Israel as a trap and a snare at the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many among them shall stumble, they shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. This is now Isaiah talking to the people. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, 
And I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. So he's going to wait on God and hope in the Lord, even though God is hiding his face from rebellious people. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. Those are his two sons, Shir Jezeb and the longest name in the Bible, Meher Shalahashbaz. We'll talk about this. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and cursed. You know, bad times don't necessarily lead people to Jesus. That's what that means. You read the book of Revelation when the uh, outpouring of God's wrath, the Bible says that the people will just shake their face, shake their fist at God and just curse God. So calamity doesn't always bring out the best in people. Amen to that, right? They will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. You know, anybody that no matter if they look up or they look down they look all around, it's nothing but trouble, nothing but trial, nothing but darkness, nothing but gloom. Well, that was the people of God that were backslidden. Well, it starts out, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. We talked about five ways in which God instructed Isaiah not to think like them. He says, don't be a victim. And we talked about that conspiracy and conspiracy theories talks about this powerful invisible hand that's working behind the scenes and he's tend to be powerless and you get this victim mentality but we're overcomers Christians should never have a victim mentality that life and circumstances and people are ultimately in control of us and that we can't control that but we must believe as Christians that our lives are in the hands of God And that uh, he ultimately has his way. And as Christians, we're more than overcomers. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And if we set our heart on God, life and circumstances and people cannot keep us from entering into the promised land that God has promised us. So don't be a victim. Don't live in fear. Don't be offended. We talked about how we can get so offended. We can stumble over things, get offended at things, and that's not good to live a life being offended, I tell you what. And uh, don't be in bondage, and don't be desperate and compromised. That's that last point here when God's instructing the Israelites. You know, you're looking to, to, to witchcraft, you're looking to stargazing, you're looking to talking to the dead, and you're, you're looking to these things rather than me. Later on in the book of Isaiah, chapter 47, verse 13, it says this. All of the advice you receive has made you tired. Where are all your astrologers, those stargazers who make predictions each month? Let them stand up and save you for what the future holds. That's God talking to the Israelites. He's telling them in chapter 8, don't do this, don't look to them. Well, they didn't heed that. They kept looking to the stargazers, to the witches, to, to those that would talk to the dead and mutter and cast their spells and prophesy out of those unclean spirits. And then by the time you get to Isaiah chapter 47, God says, well, where are they? Where are these people? Are they saving you? 
Things getting better. Listen, anytime we look to anything other than God, it's emptiness. Am I right about that? And uh, they had a big problem with idolatry in the Old Testament. We do also in the New Testament. Our idols are just a little bit different. Sometimes the greatest idol in the New Testament is the idol of self. We look inward to ourselves and we can handle this. And then everything happens. And uh, well, how's that working out for you? I'd rather look up. To the Lord, let him be my help. I'd rather keep my song and not just sit and stare. Because I don't sing much anymore. <laughs> I, I, heard, uh, I heard a preacher say this recently. And tell me if you agree with it. Christianity will survive without America. But America will not survive without Christianity. I tell you what, uh, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the hope of the world. The church is the pillar and ground of faith. The church is the bride of Christ. And I believe that uh, we need, we are the church, right? We need to make sure that we are salt and light and shining our light in this wicked, wicked world. As Christians, we need to think God thoughts. Like it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, God wants us to think differently. Last week we looked at how not to think. This week we're going to look at how we're supposed to think, all right? Number one, God tells Isaiah, I want you to fear the Lord. In verse 13, the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. When you fear the Lord, it keeps you from trouble. I've learned that. We've got to fear the Lord. Listen, the fear that's in this world is palpable. I, I, I get that. And uh, I think it's, it's very challenging not to be fearful of what you're hearing on the news or on social media or, or what might be around you. But we got to resist fearing these type of things other than the Lord because fear will torment you. This is what it says in Proverbs 28 verse 14. Happy is the man who is always reverent. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Well, so true, isn't it? I'm going to read to you a portion of scripture out of the book of Genesis. You know, God came up to Cain and gave him a direct warning. And if Cain would have reverenced or feared the Lord, he would have heeded that warning and never would have killed Abel. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 4. This is in the message translation. Verses 6 and 7. It says, God spoke to Cain. Why this tantrum? Why the sulking? If you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is lying in wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You've got to master it. Well, that's a, about as stern and a warning as you can get from God. And God is speaking to Cain, and he comes in, uh, you know, I don't know if he showed up or spoke to his spirit or if it was an audible voice. But anyway, the message was loud and clear. Sin is crouching at the door. What, what God knew is that Cain had anger and jealousy in his heart towards his brother Abel. And God perceived the murderous thoughts that was on the inside of him. And so God says, sin is crouching at your door. And listen, Cain, you better master it. You better overcome it. Well, Cain just forgot about that warning. He hardened his heart and fell into calamity. And he hatched an evil plot and premeditated the murder of his brother Abel. And 
You can read about that in Genesis chapter 4. So the fear of the Lord is so important because it keeps you from trouble. When you fear the Lord, it opens your life to God's presence. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, But all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. How many of you want God to look on you? To look on you with favor, to look on you with compassion, to look upon you with grace. But on this one I will look of him who is a poor and a contrite spirit, that means the humble of heart, and him who trembles at my word. That's the fear of the Lord right there. The fear, you know, when you read the word, the idea here is, I believe that. I believe in the power of God, the holiness of God, the wrath of God, the judgments of God. I believe all the warnings of the Bible. You tremble at the word. I can't just sin and get away with it. God sees, God knows, God holds me accountable. And the Bible says in the next life, the life to come, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give account. Accountability is going to happen to all of us. In this life, God holds us accountable. And in the life to come, do you fear the Lord? You see, it keeps you from evil. When you fear the Lord, it leads to holiness in your life. Proverbs 8 verse 13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance. To the degree that you hate sin is the degree or the level that you fear God. Interesting, isn't it? When you fear the Lord, it leads to wise decisions because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I love this in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. If Isaiah would fear the Lord, the Bible says, I'll be to you, Isaiah, a sanctuary. I'll be a sheltering place, a safe place, a secure place. And so we got to put off the fears that are in this world, not to be overcome with it because fear has torment and fear will make you its slave. Slavish fear is what they call it. Make you its slave. You then become the, you, you then serve it. You're like in bondage to it. But when you fear the Lord, there's safety. God, I, I fear you above everything else. You have all power. You're able to do all things. I'm going to walk uprightly before you. You will be my safety, my strong tower, my protector, my deliverer, my refuge, my hiding place. You're all those things to me. You're a sure foundation that I can stand on. I will hide myself in God. Amen. So God tells Isaiah, I don't want you to think like the world, thoughts of fear, I want you, Isaiah, to fear me. And then he tells Isaiah, I want you to be at peace. You see in verses 21 and 22, they will go from place to place, weary and hungry. Because they are hungry, they will rage and curse God. Imagine that, you have needs. And instead of calling on the name of the Lord, this is the evil heart, instead of calling on the name of the Lord, you have these needs these wants, these desires, you actually get angry and curse God because he's not providing for you like you think you should. They rage and curse. They'll look up to heaven, down at the earth. Wherever they look, there will be trouble, anguish, and dark despair. The world is offended, angry, unforgiving, fearful, and anxious. 
But God is telling Isaiah, I got a different place for you. I love peace, don't you? And we realize peace is not the absence of conflict or the absence of trouble. Because in this world, you have tribulation. This is part of it. But the Bible says, my peace I give you. You can actually have peace in the midst of a storm. Peace ultimately is Jesus. Peace ultimately is a relationship with God. Peace ultimately is the presence of God. The presence of God. If you lack peace, you're not praying enough. I mentioned that last week. Why is peace so important? Because it's the number one indicator that you are in the will of God. Colossians says this, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To its also you were called in one body and be thankful. Peace is the number one indicator you're in the will of God. I've shared this so many times because it's just so profound to me. God spoke to me in the very beginning of all this COVID stuff. He says, just be still and know that I am God. And just be still, be at peace, be at calm, be at rest. Just be still. Just don't get all worked up. Don't get anxious. Everything's going to be okay. God can turn everything for his glory and for his good. A great example about how peace is the number one indicator that you're in the will of God is found in the book of Acts chapter 16. The apostle Paul is on one of his missionary journeys and, you know, they want to just preach the gospel. And so the whole world is in front of them. Where do they go? Where do they go? Well, they endeavor to go different places. And in Acts chapter 16, it says this. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia... And the region of Galatia, they were, listen to this, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Forbidden did not permit and, of course, you, you read a lot of commentaries or Bible scholars. There's all kinds of how did the Holy Spirit do this and how did he keep them and how did they know. But I'll just put it right there, put it right out there, this, is they just lack peace. You know, well, let, let's, let's go over here. And the, for, the Spirit of God would not allow them. It reminds me of the story of uh, just a great friend of mine. We support him as a missionary, Steve Hopkins, how he was flying to Mexico City to do a pastor's conference. He's literally at the airport in Dallas, ready to get on the plane, standing in line like you do. And he had such a lack of peace that he then phoned his wife and said, Shelly, I can't get on that plane. I just lack peace. And she says, well, don't get on the plane then. And he didn't. Well, the hotel that he was going to stay at, that he had reservations to stay at there in Mexico City, was literally pancaked by the earthquake that happened a couple days later. Peace. The number one indicator that you are in the will of God. You know what? When you have the peace of God that passes all understanding, that is one of the great testimonies to the world that Jesus Christ is real. I think the number one testimony that we have to the world that God is real is love. They know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. But the peace of God that passes all understanding. You know, if we have God's peace keeping us during this time, people, will, people lack peace. They're full of anxiety and fear and dread and anger. They're offended. 
They're raging, they're rioting, there's strife, there's all kinds of things happening out there. But we as Christians, if we can have the peace of God that passes understanding, they will inquire, what, how are you doing this? What's the difference? You see, that, that peace is a testimony. Reading from the book of Acts chapter 6, Stephen The scripture says he was accosted by those that were resisting his message. And he's there ministering to them. He ended up being the first martyr of the church, Stephen did. But listen to what it says there in Acts chapter 6, verse 15. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Now this council was the Sanhedrin. And Stephen was preaching Jesus, and they're all upset, and Stephen knew that this is big trouble. And he's sitting there, and they are looking at him. I want you to know that people are watching us. We are the body of Christ, right? And, and we have the name of Jesus, and they're watching us. And they're watching this man, Stephen, and he just has this face as a face of an angel. Of course, they start asking him questions, and then if you read there in Acts 6 and Acts chapter 7, great, great message that Stephen preaches to them, and he just brings, brings the word of the Lord to them, and they get so angry that they just, uh, they just start gnashing on him, pick up stones, they stone him to death. The leader was the Apostle Paul. He was the leader of that, that mob that put Stephen to death. And you know he had great peace because, Father, forgive them. He prays that forgiveness. Peace, peace. The Bible says that they saw his face as the face of an angel. I I just think that's a face of godliness, peace, tranquility, strength, emanating the presence of God. When I first got saved, I remember going to that church and uh, listening to the missionary. He was a missionary. What is it, Bobby Robinson? Was that his name? Missionary to the Philippines. He was there preaching, and and uh, oh my gosh, I remember. He's talking about the, how uh, they went through a typhoon, which would be a hurricane in the, in, in the Indian Ocean. Uh, they call it a typhoon. Is that right? And uh, anyway, they're going through a typhoon, and he said the wind was blowing and the, their headquarters there with all the orphans, you know, it was threatened by such high winds. He says he went out in the midst of it and uh, as he looked up, he saw on the four corners of the building shining lights. They were angels, he says, holding the roof on. And of course, his testimony is that God got us through that. But I remember just being 18 years of age. I'd just been saved. And I remember watching this guy and his face. And his eyes, I remember his eyes, they just shined forth the glory of God. And remember as a kid, I'm just watching him. Oh my gosh, the presence of the Lord. I imagine Stephen's face was something like that. You know, your face betrays your emotions. And he had a face like the face of an angel. I mean, that Sanhedrin, they're coming down on him. His life is threatened. Here is this man placed uh, before nobles and important people and rulers that had his life literally in, the, uh, in their own hands, and he is at peace. May I encourage you to be 
at peace. You know, when you have the peace of God, it becomes a strength in your life. Psalm 29 verse 11 says, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. I love that. The Lord will bless you with peace. He'll bless you. It'll become a strength to you. You know, worry and fear and anxiety and doubt and uncertainty and confusion and, and anger. These emotions are toxic and they drain you. They drain you. You will lose your strength. You will lose your joy. You will lose your good night's sleep. But if you can have the peace of God that passes all understanding, I want you to know it'll be a strength to you. Listen, the joy of the Lord is your strength, and the peace of God is also your strength. Somebody say amen to that. I got it. Call for a response because you guys are so, so try, so quiet here today. The Bible says, as much as possible, live peaceably with all men. That's, that's the power of unity. As much as possible, live peaceably with all men. That's the power of unity. And the book of Isaiah tells us this. There's no peace for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. They're like the seed that's always churning, always churning, always churning. But Jesus would say to our hearts, our spirits today, peace be still. Just receive that right now. Peace be still. Let God calm your heart. So God's telling Isaiah, fear me, have peace in me, And then I like this one, think on the word. In verse 16, it says, bind up the testimony. Isaiah now is talking to the people, bind up the testimony. In the New Living Translation, it literally means preserve the teaching of God. And then in verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. In the New Living Translation, it basically says this, look to God's teaching. Preserve his teaching, look to his teaching. Preserve his teaching, look to his teaching. In other words, think on the word. Last week, we talked about the power of this world to conform you, but also the power of the word of God to transform you. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What do you renew your mind in? The word of the Lord. I mean, it's just, you need to get more word in you than social media in you. Am I right about that? You do. You need to meditate on the Word of God. Meditation, biblical meditation, is actively engaging your mind in thinking on the Word of God. Worldly meditation is emptying your mind of all thoughts. That's where you have peace, emptying your mind of all thoughts. But the Bible says, don't empty your mind of all thoughts. Fill your mind with the Word of God and think on the word of God. You meditate on the word of the Lord that way. The Bible says in Proverbs 4 verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. So get wisdom and get understanding. Get wisdom and get understanding. Well, where are you going to get that? The word? The word? (laughs) That's where you think you're going to find wisdom and understanding outside of the word of God in these very dark and confusing times? I think not, or as Jesus would say in the King James Version, I trow not. I trow not. I think not. I think not. When your heart is filled with his truth, you can discern what is true, what is righteous, and what is important. Reading Psalm 1 I love the book of Psalms. 
heard a preacher, he got saved, he lived a life of sin, never went to church, and uh, he got saved, and he thought it was splasms, but it's not, it's Psalms. And Psalms talking about thinking on the Word of God. And in Psalm 1, verse 3, that if you would think on, or what the Bible calls meditation, meditate on the Word of God, the Bible says in verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, this is Psalm 1, verse 3, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Four benefits to meditating on the Word of God. Number one, you will be planted. That means steadfast and immovable. How many want some steadfastness in your life, right? You're tired of being tossed back and forth. Number two, you will be fruitful. I love that. Psalm 1, verse 3. You will be fruitful in its season, in all the seasons of life. It's possible in winter season to be fruitful in God. Because, as it says in the book of Isaiah, he is a tree who is always green, and our fruit is found in him. And then it says, your leaf shall not wither. In other words, persevering in every situation. We never wither no matter what the weather. You never wither no matter what the weather. You don't wither when you're in a drought You don't wither when you're in a storm. You don't wither no matter how long that prolonged trial might be. You don't wither because the Lord is with you and you're meditating on his word. And the final thing is whatever he does shall prosper. Those are the four benefits, spiritual, emotional, relational, physical, and also financial prosperity. If we're centered on the word of God, the wisdom and understanding of God's word will get in our heart. We will live our life accordingly and the blessings of the Lord will rest on us. Think on the word, he says. Think on the word. I love the word of God. Sometimes before I read it in the morning or my devotions, I just kiss the word because I just love the word. Sometimes before I preach, I kiss the word. Love the word of God. I trust that you do as well. And one final one, God's talking to Isaiah. He says, I want you to think on the word. I want you to be at peace. I want you to fear me and not situations and people. And then he gets into living as salt and light. In verse 18, it says this. Here am I. This is Isaiah talking. Here am I, me, and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel. We are for signs and wonders. In other words, Isaiah knew that he was a testimony to Israel. We are salt. We are light. We're supposed to be a sign and a wonder. A wonder is like a miracle. (laughs) I had a a missionary that we supported, Billy Billy Joe Hart. And uh, God bless him. He always would say, I'm a walking miracle. I'm a walking miracle because he was just, uh, what was his disease that he had? He was just all of it instantaneously uh, healed of this uh, just terrible disease as a teenager that, you know, they prayed over him and uh, he became a missionary to the nation of Brazil and Bill and Josephine Hart, they uh, both have since passed away, but uh, he'd always talk about how he was a walking miracle and he just had the joy of the Lord and uh, just wonderful, uh, God just wonderfully saved him. He talked about how him and his brothers were all brawlers. Matter of fact, one of his brothers pastored down in Detroit 
a revival tabernacle type of church in Detroit for years and years. While Billy Joe and his wife Josephine, they were missionaries to, to Brazil. But he talked about how the brothers were always brawlers and fighting. And they get in fights. And he'd always say this, we'd just lay our salvation down and we'd just get to it, you know. But he was a, he was a walking miracle. And we're supposed to be that. Now, what does it mean, I and my children are for signs and wonders? Well, God gave Isaiah two sons, and he told them to name those sons, and he gave them the name to name them. The first son, the oldest, was Sheer Jashub, and that name literally means a remnant shall return. So when God told Isaiah, name your firstborn son, Sheer Jashub, it was a predictive event. You're going to return. Return from what? Captivity. Isaiah was a prophet. He was preaching captivity because of their sins, but also preaching coming restoration. You'll be carried away to captive, but God's going to be good to you. He's going to bring you back. Sheer Jashub. That's how you're going to name your son. Then the second born was the longest name in the Bible, Meher Shalahashbaz. Let's say that together. Meher Shalahashbaz. Pretty good. One more time. Meher Shalahashbaz. Hasting to the spoil. That's a prophecy in that name of captivity. He says, Isaiah, I'm a prophet. Me and my two sons, we're for a sign and a wonder. I'm preaching and prophetically announcing the the word of the Lord. And my two sons are testimonies of what's going to happen. You're going to be sent into captivity, but you're going to return from that captivity. We are signs and wonders. We are the word of the Lord to these people. Well, I want to encourage us to be salt and light. I think a godly marriage is one of the number one evangelistic tools that we have. If you have a godly marriage, a loving marriage, I want you to know if Jesus is the center of that marriage, I want you to know that that is a testimony to this world that Jesus is alive. So many marriages get stressed. So many marriages are in trouble, especially during the COVID. It's really heightened it from what I understand. But as Christians, we love the Lord and each other, and we're getting through life together. We become a sign and a wonder to this world that there is a God, that we can love each other, make it through life together, trusting God and loving each other. Say yes, Rhonda. She says yes. She says yes. One of the purposes of marriage is to raise up God the offspring. Your family then becomes your most important ministry. Listen to what it says in Malachi. It's Malachi chapter 2. I think the reference might be wrong there. It's Malachi chapter 2 verse 15. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Well, my wife is the wife of my youth. She was 18 when she married me. I was just 20. We, were, we got married young, and we've been together 44 years. She's the wife of my youth. And the Bible says we're supposed, I'm supposed to guard my heart. God, thank you. I'm supposed to guard my heart. I'm supposed to be loyal to her. One of the reasons being is because God wants God the offspring. So we had two children. Hannah's in Denver right now with her husband planting that church. It's no longer a church plant. It's a viable church. And they are having their very first inside service this Sunday, today. 
Praise the Lord. Ever since the COVID hit, they haven't been able to meet inside. Lots of restrictions there in, in, in the Parker, Denver area. And then, of course, Pastor Luke, my son, and his wife, Jen. Wonderful. He's serving the Lord. I got six grandchildren, which is awesome. Faithman, the oldest, she's 12, right? She actually has a young girl's ministry that she has in her house. She calls it Awaken. My daughter started a young girl's ministry when she was here at our church called Awaken. Well, Faithman felt God called her to carry on that ministry. <laughs> so she, she has about, about 10 to 12 girls come over to the house, and she gets a little pulpit, and she has the Bible. They have worship. One of the Klusacek girls, Jamie Klusacek, was a worship leader. Well, her girls can all sing like Jamie, and one of the Klusacek girls leads worship. <laughs> And then after worship, you know, Faith and gets up there and, and she talks about things from the word of the Lord. And, oh, it just blesses my heart. These uh, children and grandchildren. You know, we sing that song, The Blessing. May the Lord bless you right and upon your family and their children and their children and their children. Oh, may we have a legacy of faith. A legacy of faith. I love it. In the the book of John, one of John's letters, he says, I rejoice when I see my children walking in truth. Oh, isn't that the truth? Your candle for the Lord should shine brightest at home. If you're a success at work, but not successful at home, you're not a success. Money, success, and promotion are temporary. You're to be married until death do you part. Be salt and light. Think on the word. Live at peace. Fear the Lord. Let's think differently. Amen. Bow your head in the presence of the Lord. God is good, isn't he? God is good. In the midst of panic and fear and strife and turmoil and sin and darkness and disease and plagues and wildfires and civil unrest and political unrest and all that, we can think differently. We can think differently. We will fear you, O Lord. I'm going to pray this prayer. I just want you to make this prayer your prayer. Just say amen. Just affirm it as I pray it. We can think differently, Lord. We can fear you. And that's what we want to do. We want to fear the Lord, love you, reverence you. We want to hate sin by fearing you, Lord. Thank you. And Lord, we also want to be at peace. The peace of God. The peace that passes all understanding. The peace that brings strength to our spirit. The peace that's in the midst of the storm. Oh, Lord, give us that peace, your peace. Your divine peace, supernatural peace. We want your peace sustaining us, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And, Lord, we want to think on your word. We want to be planted We want to be fruitful. We want to be steadfast in you, Lord. And oh God, we want to be prosperous in you. We will look to the word. And Father, I pray that we might be salt and light. Our marriages and our families as signs and wonders. 
to this unbelieving world. Oh, how they need to see the light shine. Help us, oh Lord, to shine our light, to shine it bright as the body of Christ. If you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus and you want me to pray with you to be saved, I would love to do that. If you're here today and want to give your heart to Christ, just lift up your hand right now in the presence of the Lord. Right now in the service, lift up your hand. I will pray with you to give your heart to Jesus. All right, let's all stand. Can we do that, church? What song are we going to sing? Stand in your love. Praise the Lord. Well, let's do that, right? Let's be made perfect in God, mature and complete in the love of God. He loves us. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands. Let me hear you praise the Lord, church. Yes, Lord, I stand in love. Because my fear doesn't.